this morning from Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. And if you'd like to find that in the Bibles, in the seats, it's on page 1005. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Well, thanks, Vicky, and uh, good day, everyone. Uh, what? Hi to you guys uh, watching online at home as well or later on. Hope you're having a good time. Keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to pray for us. Get right underway. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear. Amen. Well, today we're thinking about kingdoms, and I wonder if you could design and build your own kingdom. What would it be like? What special features would characterize the kingdom of Keith? or the kingdom of Christine, or whatever your kingdom would be called. Now, in the kingdom of Scott, we would prioritise thoughtful consideration of others and civility on a mission to civilise. In my kingdom, people would be self-deprecating and yet respectful of others. Uh, we'd be hardworking, but we'd also be jovial. And as for special features, we would have lawns that were lush and green and neat and tidy and roads that were black and smooth and car-free when I want to ride my bike. In fact, they would be car-free when I wanted to drive my car as well. <laughs> and you could eat ice cream without getting fat. I mean, not a gluttonous amount, okay? I'm just saying one ice cream a day without side effects other than pure, unadulterated pleasure. That would be that my grand vision for the Kingdom of Scott. Lawns, roads, and ice cream, civility, respect, and laughter. What would your kingdom be? be like 
Well, we won't be talking anymore about your kingdom, or my kingdom for that matter, but we are talking about the kingdom of God, because that's what the parables today give us an insight into. They really, they're sort of design sketches for the kingdom of God, and today's parables connect tightly with the parable of the sower that, or, or soils, whatever you want to call it, that we looked at last week from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. All about the kingdom of God. Now you can see that in verse 11, read along with me, where Jesus said to his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So last week was about the kingdom of God, how you become a part of it by listening to the word of God and letting it take root in your heart and bearing fruit in your life. And today's further three parables about a lamp, about a growing seed, about a mustard seed are also about the kingdom of God. Now friends, I assume you are here because you're interested in the kingdom of God, however you want to describe that, and so it is worth us all tuning in attentively. Before we do, just to step back for a minute, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. We started this last year, uh, first term last year. Last, uh, first term last year, we only looked at chapters 1 to 3, and so we picked up things from chapter 4 that we're in today, and we're going to tread carefully through to chapter 8 at Easter time. But today, it's further parables of the kingdom. What do they tell us about the kingdom of God? And what does that mean for any of us who hope to be a part of that kingdom? So three kingdom parables provide three kingdom insights. Now, firstly, the parable of the lamp, you have to admit, sounds simple enough, doesn't it? At a glance, you don't bring in a lamp or turn on a light and then deliberately conceal it, do you? The whole purpose of the lamp is to shed light on an entire room. And so you read there in verse 22, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. And we think, well, of course, right? That makes sense, natural. But the question is, what's the lamp? Is the lamp you and me? You know, this little light of mine, gonna let it shine. Is, is, is it talking about not hiding our talents and our gifts? keeping them to ourselves in false modesty? Or more pointedly, is it talking about not keeping the good news about Jesus to ourselves, but being that city on the hill, you know, salt and light illuminating all those around us of the greatness of God? I mean, that's kind of the thing with the metaphor of a lamp. It's so common, isn't it, that it can apply in lots of different ways. And so we have to be quite attentive to the context to work out what it means. And so I think in a chapter that is about the secrets to the kingdom of God, at a juncture that really is the outset, the early days of Jesus' public ministry, he's actually talking about himself as the lamp, himself bringing the kingdom of God, his own mission, which will culminate in his sacrificial death on a cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead, which is the way by which he will bring an, or initiate the kingdom of God, bringing it upon the earth in its infancy if not in its fullness. I mean, just think about what's going on at this time. There is Jesus. There's a pretty rough band of followers called the Twelve. There are some others hangers-on, and crowds wherever he go, but they're really motivated by his novelty. Early days, isn't it? Very early days. All that would come was not obvious to the Twelve and the others just yet. Jesus is a lamp. He's a light. I mean, he's light of the world, no less. And he wouldn't remain hidden for long, but you've got to have the eyes to see it, don't you? And you've got to have ears to hear him. And two millennia later, you've got to have memories that recall he is at the very center of God's plans for the universe. 
And so, friends, whatever plans you have made for your year and your family, he needs to be at the very centre of them. For he shouldn't remain hidden in your life and he shouldn't remain hidden in your aspirations either. Well, that's the first parable, the parable of the lamp. second parable there in verses 26 to 29 is sometimes called the parable of the growing seed. And again, you see a very basic domestic and agricultural metaphor in play. A man scatters or sows seeds and it sprouts and it grows. Look, verse 28, first the stalk, then the head, and then the kernel before it ripens. Now, the emphasis in this parable is in the repetition of ideas there in verses 27 and 28. It sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain. Okay, I want you to imagine it. You go to bed at night, you wake up, and the stalk has pushed its way through the baking soil. You attend to other jobs during the day, during the day. You check on it again in the afternoon, and the head of the grain is forming on the stalk. Next day, you wake up, and the kernel, the real meat of the plant, has developed. It just seems to happen. You don't know how it happens. All you know is that it's not really because of you. Now, I, I do understand the dilemma of the farmer or the gardener, whoever this person is in the parable, because I try to keep my garden uh, in order, but I've got to say, I don't understand most of what goes on out there. For example, right now, I have a, a, spout, a sprouting crop of clover on my back lawn. I did not plant this stuff. I haven't tended this stuff. I haven't fed it. I've tried pulling it out, but it continues to grow. I have tried spraying it with specially formulated spray that was meant to treat the clover. Right, Treat means kill. So, you know, when people say trick or treat, be careful of the treat, right? Treat means kill without harming my other plants or the lawn itself. Turns out the clover loves the spray and it was some of my other plants that got the treatment, if you know what I mean. Except you don't really know what I mean because that's the whole point. None of us really knows how the stuff grows. It just does. And even when we try to stop it, it keeps growing now clearly this parable is is not talking about weeds and seeds as such it's talking about the spread of the kingdom of god and it's saying this kingdom is not advanced by human methodology there's something mysterious about the way that it grows and it spreads and it's not really something that we can manipulate or control night and day it spreads when we sleep and when we get up seemingly all by itself now think about uh, about parables metaphors is that you can always kind of press them too far can't you and so it would be a mistake for us to conclude from this parable especially the the all by itself bit that we humans have no responsibility in relation to the spread of the kingdom that we have no response to it but we know that's not true because jesus has already spoken in the parable of the seeds of the soils from last week that we need to listen well to the word of god but this parable is to say that the kingdom of God is powered by God, by the means set by God, and not by human strategy. And friends, I think this is great news for us because we know the means God has given us to propel the kingdom of God forward in manly and beyond. It's by first hearing and then proclaiming the word of God. It's by prayers and petitions of all kinds, many of which we've participated in, in in this week just gone, week prayer and fasting. It's by loving one another 
and by serving those around us. Now, of course, we've got to organise how we're going to do that here so that we can do it in hopefully the most effective and efficient ways possible. But what works in the business world or what works in the um, political world or what works in the world of the media, whatever it is, will not necessarily work when it comes to propelling the kingdom of God because he's got his own way of operating. It's spiritual in nature. We can and do play our part in it, but let's not pretend that we can wrest control of it from him and that we can do a better job of it than him. So we use his means to advance his kingdom. He doesn't need us. He can work well enough without us. All by itself the kingdom can grow, but graciously he invites us in to play our part well. So that's the second parable. Last parable, third parable, is the parable of the mustard seed. Again, it's very simple to understand. Something that starts off so small you can barely see it. You know, uh, It's so small it's as if it were hidden. Yet it grows to something large, large enough to become a home for many. It's what the mustard tree looks like in the kind of desert world. Kingdom of God, which begins really with Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it's just like that. It starts with, with 12 and maybe a hundred other uh, followers gathered so timidly in Jerusalem. But it has grown and grown and grown across every inhabited continent, so that you cannot say, ah, the Christian faith, that's a Western religion. You cannot say the Christian faith, oh, that's a white man's religion. No, friends, it is global. And it is growing most rapidly in the East and in the South among non-white people in poorer countries. And millions upon millions upon millions have gathered in its shade. That would have been impossible to understand and impossible to believe to these first hearers of Jesus' words back in Mark chapter 4. And yet we know it to be true, for it has turned out just as he has said. So that's the kingdom of God. It starts small, perhaps even hidden in the early ministry of Jesus, but it, but it grows and it advances in ways that are often difficult to analyse, in ways that are beyond human strategy, but with an undeniable momentum across the planet and across millennia to this very day. And so other than taking heart that what Jesus has described here, the very infancy of the kingdom of God, has become true in the generations and centuries since, what does this mean for us today? What ought to be a kingdom response to these kingdom parables? Well, friends, the answer is very similar to last week when we considered the parable of the seeds or the soil or the sower, however you want to describe it. And we should expect that if these parables are rightly grouped together. And the answer, what does this mean for us today, is that it means we need to hear well. You see that in verse 23, where Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, you got ears to hear? Let them hear. You conclude that from the final two verses of um, our reading, where it reminds us that though Jesus spoke in parables with common metaphors, understandable language, he needed to explain everything to his disciples. And obviously, they needed to listen well. But perhaps most vividly, you see it in the words of verse 24. Stern words, I think. Read them along with me. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, 
Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Consider carefully what you hear. You take to heart the word of God planted within you. You let it take deep root in your life so that it bears fruit in all sorts of faith and good deeds. You will receive. I mean, this is a promise Jesus is making to us, right? You will receive a deeper knowledge and love of God in the life to come than you can even imagine by faith now. Isn't that wonderful? You will receive a deeper knowledge and love of God in the life to come than you can even imagine. But conversely, if you do not take to heart the word of the gospel scattered or sown in your heart, because your heart is hard, by that I mean you refuse the gospel word you have now, you will have even the mention of the hope and light that it brings removed from you. I want to say Jesus is not mucking around here. Consider carefully what you hear. Now, friends, I'm actually glad that the application this week is basically the same as last week because it gives us a chance to think quite practically about how to do that here at St. Matthew's and in your own life this year. So I have a number of suggestions. I think they're good suggestions, but they're only suggestions, right? Which is to say, if you don't do it my way, that's okay. But however you do it, you must consider carefully what you hear because it's just disobedient to Jesus to consider carelessly what you hear, to listen, but to not care, to not give a rip. So my first suggestion, funnily enough, is to come to church week by week. I really think that's something we all ought to be doing. And to prepare ourselves mentally and spiritually by praying that as the Word of God is read and taught, you will hear. Now, honestly, friends, this is something that you can pray in the car trip, the the journey down to church, or even as you're walking from the car park along Darley Road to the front door. I'm just suggesting that it is possible to approach your service of worship with a degree of planning and intentionality rather than just squeezing it in among a a number of other engagements during your week. When we have the Bible reading, get your Bible out. You know, when I first came here, people didn't get their Bibles out during the Bible reading. I was astonished. That's something that we ought to be doing. When the speaker mentions a verse... Read the verse along with them. Bring along a notebook and take notes. And lots of other churches, that's what people do. I think it's a good idea. When you attend your growth group, which I hope most of you will do, you want to answer the questions for discussion from the passage you have just read. You don't want to just answer them from your past experiences, right? Because you might have interpreted your past experiences wrong. Don't answer it from what a previous minister told you. Don't even answer it from what a current minister told you. Okay, even if it's me, we can get it wrong. You might hear us wrong. If your group is doing a video series, you're working through a Christian book, you've got to read the Bible references that it gives and you've got to make sure they're being used properly. Otherwise, how will you know you are hearing from God rather than listening to just a very, very clever human being? Friends, that says what Jesus asked us to do. Consider carefully what you hear. Now, some of us are in uh, good and godly habits of Bible reading um, during the week. Some of us struggle to do that, okay? I'm not pronouncing any judgment here, but I do want to say if you struggle in your personal life, why not aim to read a few verses every day and pray the Lord's Prayer? Now, I think that is something that we can all do. You might want to do what Nathan suggested to us on Wednesday night. Slow it down. 
by writing out a key verse and maybe some reflections on it. If you use your phone, you can download the Bible app from the App Store. Uh, it looks like there. And then there are reading plans, like the one circled on the second picture there. Uh, it makes it very easy to read and hear from God every day before you check the news, before you start scrolling interminably through Facebook, Instagram or TikTok and get dumber by the minute as you do that. Now, if you're in a family, you can even do that as a family. Consider carefully what you hear. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, it all sounds good in theory, Scott. And you might say, although I doubt you'd say it out loud, I just don't have time. Very busy person. I don't have time to read a bit of the Bible during the week. I don't have time to plan to come to church with intentionality as if I were meeting with the everlasting God and the people of God rather than just going to soccer practice or my Zumba lesson. Um, and if that's you, I would just say to you, why don't you get your iPhone out now? Okay, get it out. I'm actually saying get out your iPhone. Get it out. None of you are on iPhones? You're all on Samsung? I'm praying for you. I really am. Get out your iPhone uh, and go to settings. iPhone, settings, scroll down to screen time. Now, what does it say? You click on see all activity and note your daily use of social media and internet browsing apps. Now, I'm not going to get you to share what it says. But I would suggest to you that for most of us, our problem is not time. It's inclination. It's discipline. It's focus. Professor Scott Galloway from New York University, he's charted the, um, the, the growth of non-voice smartphone usage in America. Okay, he's put it on a graph. It looks like this. That, my friends, is a horror movie right there. Okay, because it reveals that um, as of last year, four hours and 23 minutes is how much time Americans spend on their smartphones every day not talking to other people. Okay, that's about a third of their waking hours. That is shocking. Equally shocking is the fact that in 2010, just over a decade ago, it was only 24 minutes per day. That is 3% of waking hours. Now, you might say, oh, they're Americans. They're different, by which we Australians mean they're dumber, right? They're not dumber, they're just ahead of us, probably by a year or two. And I guarantee you, we will catch up. I'm not interested in making you feel guilty. What a fruitless exercise that is. But I want to impress upon us all, including me, that we have the time. We're missing something else. It's the inclination, isn't it? It's the discipline. It's the focus. And so that's... That's the parameters that we're working with. And I, I just want to suggest that at times we can be so silly. We're so smart and silly at the same time. We're fortunate enough to live on a, on a planet governed by a good God. Not only that, but he wants us to know him. Not only that, but he has given us the very means of knowing him via his gospel word that is contained within a thousand pages of a book we can carry around with us. We can even download to our device. He wants us to know him. He's made it relatively simple by accommodating himself to human thoughts and human language. But we would rather see a photo of what Emily had for brunch. Or the latest prank from our favorite YouTuber. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Consider carefully 
what you hear. What if, friends, what if before we check the news or before we check social media or on the bus on the way to work or in the extra 90 minutes a day we now have because we're working from home or over breakfast or during lunch, we read the Bible and prayed a little. I think that would actually change us quite profoundly. Now, some of you will say, uh, I'm more of a worship kind of guy. Uh, That's how I connect with God through singing praises. Occasionally, I, I, I pray a bit as well. I'm not really a Bible sort of girl. Some of us might think that way. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever known someone who, whenever you have a conversation, they do all the talking? Even if they're saying nice things about you, they're really saying it to you. So they don't listen and they don't invite you to talk. Have you ever known that sort of person? I think they're like those dementors from Harry Potter that feed off your happiness and suck all the light and life from your soul. It's a painful experience. But you know, if we say, I connect with God through worship, but I don't like reading the Bible, you kind of like that person not listening to him, not inviting him to talk to you. You know that his word is his primary way of speaking to us. Not the only way, but his primary way. We're told by Jesus, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, among other things. To effectively say, I'm going to dismiss God's main way of speaking to me because it requires me to think too much, is deeply disrespectful to him, and it's the exact opposite of Jesus' instruction here. Consider carefully what you hear. So friends, it seems to me that we know what we ought to do it. And by the way, it's actually a joy. It's not a chore or a burden to listen to the Word of God. And we know that we've got time enough to do even a little of it. Can I encourage you to get on with it one way or another? It doesn't have to be my way. Of course, it's one thing to hear. It's quite another thing to Let that word which you have heard soften your heart so that it changes your life. Isn't it possible for us to read the Bible as if we were part of an ancient book club? It's semi-interesting, but not life-changing. But we ought to read it as it is, the word of God, the, the living word of God scattered before us, which testifies in the Old Testament to the king who came among us by predicting his arrival. And then in the Gospels, by narrating his ministry, And then in the rest of the New Testament, explaining its significance and imploring us to be ready for his return when he will bring the kingdom in all its fullness. And we're reminded of Jesus' half-brother James who tells us to be not only hearers of the word, but to be doers of it also. Or even Jesus' closing instruction of his magnificent Sermon on the Mount when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Friends, with the coming of Jesus, the kingdom has come. It's no longer hidden, and though it started very small, it has truly grown to be a global phenomenon. And even to this day, Millions upon millions and millions of people find refuge, hope and purpose within its shade. We become a part of this kingdom by accepting the gospel word, the good news about Jesus into our hearts and then letting all the words of God which testify to his beautiful son take root in our spirit 
and slowly change our lives as we put them into practice. And that word is saying to us today, very clearly in my estimation, consider carefully what you hear. Now, friends, we're not going to have a closing prayer today. In a moment, Barry's going to come and pray for us, and then uh, we'll finish with a closing song. But we are going to have a minute of quietness to reflect and to maybe think, which way, uh, what will I do this year? What will be my one kind of take-home or methodology to make sure that I consider carefully what I hear from the Lord Jesus and the word that he inspired? So a moment of quiet, and then Barry's going to lead us in prayer.